welcome to this edition of the Week in Review on an eventful week. It's February, it's very wet and it there's is. news all over the place. My name is Michael Crutcher and I'm joined by Jordan McDonald. Jordan, welcome. Hi, Michael. Well, what a week it's been and we'll start with obviously the topic that's getting play everywhere and that's what's happening in the Ukraine at the moment. We took at the Week in Review. This podcast looks, of course at issues to do with audience engagement, communications, etc. So that's where we come from when we look at what is happening this week. And you know, what we're seeing now is it's quite fascinating in terms of how we're consuming news about this conflict mm-hmm. in Europe because we're doing it, you know, really it's a first significant conflict, I guess, in an era in which social media is so much part of our life with TikTok becoming part of this news and information distribution. So we're seeing, I guess, media coming to us in ways that we haven't before with a conflict of this nature. And we know how quickly that this news and information does spread. So it's important to have a look at that and how our consumption of what's happening at the moment in Europe is, I guess, being filtered through our lives. We've already seen that one Harvard professor has posted on social media that people should turn on cable TV right now because that's a better way to ensure what you're seeing has some truth to it because social media therefore can't be trusted as uh, in terms of what's coming through. We know, and we've seen this before, historic footage being rebadged and claiming to be current when it's not. Yep. It's the fog of war, isn't it, Jordan, where it's just made more difficult by expert operators who use these massive communication channels in ways that suit them to reach these huge audiences. One activist group this week tweeted that if you grew up during the Cold War, it's hard to imagine an American company knowingly pushing Russian propaganda into our homes, yet here we are. So, Holy. again, some of these different takes on what we're seeing, how we're seeing, etc. We've seen the likes of Reddit attempting to ban some posts on politics and military, or some discussion boards on those topics. Facebook mm-hmm. claims to be setting up a special unit to act on disinformation. Yeah, well, let's just we'll see, see about f- that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I won't hold my breath. No, not coming from a, a good history. And of course, as I said, TikTok is now a factor in what we're seeing. Is, YouTube yeah. saying it's trying to watch for so-called false flag operations. So what's coming through YouTube. So it's something that is definitely worth talking about. Absolutely. So that's my area of expertise is the social media side. So a few observations I've uh, seen so far is just how much of a focal point it is, the, the, the conflict is across all the social media platforms. So, for example, Twitter's What's Happening section, it's entirely related to the conflict. The number one hashtag uh, for the last two days is World War Three, which is quite grim. World War Three, <laughs> quite grim. Don't think I'd ever, never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. Um, for example, but uh, Facebook's news tabs though has uh, a dedicated section now for the conflict. So any news in that news tab in the app, uh, it, uh, it it sits in a specific spot, so it's not hard to find. Uh, and LinkedIn news, it's the the top item there right. as well. So. So much of the content that's coming out of Ukraine at the moment are these very visceral photos and videos. And it's really hard to determine which is real and which is fake. So 
I had a look through Twitter on the, the World War Three uh, tag and a lot of the content is misinformation or fake videos and it's backed by Russian media in some cases or it's old photos or like you mentioned, it's, it's old footage, like historical footage which has been repurposed to appear current. So, and which people are really happy to get on and send to there. Absolutely, their. they are exactly right. But um, so, one example was the Russia-backed media reports. They accused the Ukrainian government of genocide of its civilians, and that was published on Facebook and Twitter without issue, unchecked, no flagging, nothing. It's actually still up there now. Um, the point is, unless you're very savvy at identifying these subtle differences in real content and the content that's being edited, um, it's likely you'll assume that all content is authentic and then that's the confusion among the users online that I've seen today and yesterday uh, that's going to cause this spread of the wrong information. Yeah, I even saw an interview with uh, a social media expert in Europe who mm-hmm. has been looking at this for some time now in terms of trying to get a handle on what's real and what's not coming out of this conflict zone. And even he said he has trouble trying to break it down himself. He's, he's comparing landmarks, he's comparing time of day, different images come out, vision comes out, and even he says it's tough. Yeah, I read an article where the, f- the fellow who'd authored it uh, was an expert at identifying the differences in footage and, you know, it's coming down to stripes on tanks and just different things like that are really subtle that most of us will have no, no idea. Um, the other takeaway for me was this sort of surreal feeling, especially for a younger person like myself who has not really seen anything like this at an adult age. Um, never really considered a war of sorts. Uh, could occur in my lifetime but the social media and the technology and the phones that we have today is taking a foreign war and pretty much putting it putting it right in our hands and so we can get updates by the second thanks to social media Uh, and I think that's very interesting. Yeah it's changed so rapidly. I'm older than you Jordan of course I do remember uh, (laughs) some of the things to do uh, in 19 early 1990s with uh, Iraq and and also going back 20 years ago. Uh, again when we were over there um, but you managed to find one uh, page online which has been quite interesting and in how it's chronicling some of these different um, events. Yeah so social media will document this conflict and what some uh, what a company online has done is it's crowdsourced all this information all the social media posts on Twitter in particular Facebook TikTok and it's consolidated that onto an interactive map and what it does is drop different coloured pins all across various cities within Ukraine and depending on the colour you'll see where military has been spotted setting up, if there's been an explosion, um, if there's a fatality, if there's video or photos. It's It's a massive map we just had a look at it before. I'm thinking if, if I'm media, I could probably just sit on this all day and, yeah. and get all the breaking news. But the thing is that all the breaking news are tweets or TikToks. That's right. Media are following so much of it through social media mm. like uh, we're trying to do. So you write that webpage and we'll put a link to that 
um, in our social yeah. media here so you can get on. It's worth having a look at. It's uh, quite an interesting collection of social media output from the area. So it's worth looking at here. Well, I just think this is another serious test in terms of the role that social media plays in our life. I often see different uh, research that comes out to say um, the n- percentage of people who are getting their me- their news from social media. Mm-hmm. And I-, I always think it underplays it. Like I really do think it underplays it. Some of the stuff that I see coming out from um, in the US in particular, I just think it's higher. People are getting more news from their social media feeds than they say that they are. Yep. Um, plus it's for a younger group as well. Uh, the younger people who are just social media natives they're not they don't know mm-hmm. newspapers they don't flick on the 6 p.m news they're they're now seeing their first real conflict i mean of a level of this coverage um and they're getting it all through social media so yeah, yeah the world war three trend um how many kids are saying to their parents in homes around hey oh, i know hey mum and dad is it world war three because that's that's the this hashtag on my my feed so yeah. hey this is what i'm getting and they've got no idea about how to choose between what's right and what's not absolutely right. no so, idea and and i still don't have any trust in social media platforms being good at moderating. I mean, I noticed that Reddit said it's shutting down some of those discussion boards. Sometimes that's the only way to do it, shut it down. But, I mean, this is a massive time for traffic for these social media platforms. Do you turn your back on traffic? Probably not because they can't... It's too tempting. So, and, and I think always... And journalists have to put their hand on their heart and say they're... They've got some of this as well, not to the extent that, say, social media has, but the discussion around online media is that you're never wrong for long, okay? So you can fix something up really quickly when it comes to online media. Now, I came through as a young reporter in newspapers. Now, if you made a mistake in a newspaper, that was there for 24 hours. There was no website there to fix what you had to do. That mistake sat in front of you for 24 hours and it burnt you i if bet you, it did if you if oh, you cared about your work and you made a mistake that paper sat there all day you couldn't make amends till the next day's paper so that really from my viewpoint it made you want to ensure that everything that you had under your name or you were involved in was right now you're never wrong for long online if you make that mistake you can change it quickly and i don't care what anyone says it's not the same as it used to be. And social media platforms, well, they can change things really quickly and really easily. So I don't trust those platforms that they're going to put in as much effort as they say they are. When Facebook tells me it's setting up a unit there, <laughs> once I stop laughing, I then wonder what that unit is doing and how yeah. effective is it being because these are massive traffic times. And as all young reporters are told, follow the money. And this is a time when these online platforms get traffic and that gets them their, uh, I guess, gets them their revenue stream. So let's see what happens, no doubt, on the Weekend Review podcast next Friday. We'll be talking about this again. Probably, yeah. So let's see what happens. In the meantime, another thing to talk about, we've mentioned this before on this podcast Facebook and its reels, R E L S, reels. Jordan, what's happening there? Facebook has taken another step towards combating its big rival TikTok in the short form video and user engagement space. So 
two days ago, Facebook released Reels worldwide. So if you open up your Facebook app now, you'll, you might have noticed it or you'll see it there now. Now, Reels isn't a new feature. It's actually been in the Instagram app since 2020. Uh, and that was put in there to combat with TikTok then because they perceived TikTok as a threat even that early on. Um, but it is new to Facebook. So the thinking is they'll allow users on Facebook to create short-form video there and publish it there, or they'll allow you to cross-post your reel from Instagram and reach a wider audience. So Meta's very excited about this. The company boasted during their fourth quarter 2021 earnings that the Reels is now their fastest growing content format by far. And it's also the biggest contributor to growth they saw on Instagram. But one concern that they have is Reels and monetization. And it's monetizing a lot less than other formats like the Instagram news feed and their stories. But Meta is adamant that that will change, I'm sure. <laughs> the money machine. So they're testing overlay ads as they would. So you'll be able to place a small ad which will sit transparently wherever you choose to place it on your reel. Or you can run that same ad as a transparent banner across the bottom of your reel. So Meta says they'll also eventually add monetization for creators in the form of stars, which is effectively a tipping button. And that already exists on their Facebook Live as a feature. Um, is it going to work? If is I'm it using going to TikTok, work? So if I'm a TikTok user, what am I going to think about Reels? <sighs> I, to be honest, I'm staying on TikTok. <laughs> I've never really gotten into Reels. I definitely use TikTok. I find that the variety of content is far wider than uh, what's available on Reels. Um, my partner uses Reels. She was addicted to TikTok and enforced a swift delete, do not reinstall TikTok. So she's gone to Reels to try and satisfy the urge. <laughs> but I reckon if I listened in the background, I'm hearing the same thing over and over recycled. So the, the content variety is just not there. And I just don't think it's, it's as... Um, it's not as enjoyable experience. TikTok is just this one stream, video after video after video. Yeah. Reels, is, it's integrated into the Instagram app. You end up getting distracted. You might watch one reel and get bored and go, yep, next, and then go back into the stream again. I just don't think the audience's attention is there. It's still at TikTok. Let's see where that goes in the coming weeks and months. And no doubt we'll talk about that again. And our final topic today and a shout out to our... Good friend Stephen Green. Indeed. If you haven't heard Greeny on Sourced a few weeks ago, he spoke about uh, his involvement in a campaign to get an album of calls from endangered Australian birds to rocket up the charts, which it did when we recorded that podcast with Greeny about the experience there and getting that album um, high up. It got to number three behind... Adele and Ed Sheeran. It did make it to number two. So good work, Greeny and crew. Excellent. Getting out up to number two. But we only bring that up because just closing out today, looking at where does the album sit these days in terms of what musicians are doing and how that impacts on, I guess, the industry itself, people who love to buy albums and love to, you know, listen to albums and look at how, you know, artists change from album to album. 
Ballpark Music, one of the great Queensland bands, put out a new single yesterday, which is well worth a listen. That followed a few months after a an earlier single. The album doesn't come out until June. So we've got a bit different to the traditional launch here of... of Albums where you might have a big hit single comes out, yep. maybe followed by a second hit single and the album, or the big hit single and the album follows soon mm. after, which is normal. So now we're not seeing that as much now. So what, are we seeing a new era here where the albums are just being written and done traditional forms by the older bands, not the younger bands? The younger bands are just saying, we're now creatures of streaming services. So what we do is we just... If we do a good song, we write a good song, we're just going to put a song out as a yep. single and we're just going to keep rolling through that because we're not really a album-style band. We're younger. We just go through streaming services. So, And I guess uh, talking to Greeny before we did this podcast, uh, you know, there seems to be a realisation around the place that if you do uh, have, you know, four or five quite good songs that are going to get airplay if you put two of those out as singles then you put the album out you probably run a risk then of uh, jeopardizing the reach of those extra songs to come out after the album's released so it just seems to me to be this new i guess this new era for us there'll always be those artists who do look to albums and their album album artists and you can see the way that their their work shifts over time but Kanye West Jordan has done something quite interesting which forms part of this conversation. He did he put out Donda 2 yesterday and uh, it's only available through his own stem player so you have to go on drop 200 US and you get access to the little stem player which has all the individual elements of the track so stems that's why it's called the stem player so you've got the vocal the instrumental and all the variants of the instrumental so 200 us to get that to start with 200 us to get that to start with now he reckons he made uh 2.2 million us in the first 24 hours of people jumping on to get donda 2 and it comes off uh donda 1 which was very popular and that was only that only came out not long ago too so he's done quite well to to bump out two big projects so quickly. But um, he's done this as a sort of a valiant attempt to regain control, regain you know the money from the music industry. Take on the streaming platforms. Absolutely. Um, so he, he was uh, tweeting that, you know, we only get 12% of what we earn in the, in the music industry. This is, uh, this is my comeback, this is my battle. Um, but in saying that, you know, he's estimated to have made nearly seven million if if he uh, sells all these units that he had allocated. But he's estimated to have made a lot more if he'd gone through a record company. So I don't know if if I suppose his battle is with the streaming services, not the bank, uh, the That's money. True. So and he can afford to have the battle as well. Absolutely. So you can read more about that in themusic.com.au, a very good website. Are you an album person, Jordan? I don't mind an album. The Gang of Youths just put out an album yesterday, I think, the day before maybe, uh, and I've listened to that back to front already because I'm a big fan. But I do tend to bounce around different 
select songs on Spotify. I think that's the way that Spotify's done it anyway. You go to any artist's page and the first thing you see is the top five songs people listen to. It's never yeah. just the album at the top. So you're sort of programmed to go, you know, pick exactly what you want to, what, to listen to. Um, but, yeah. Which is true. So are we album people or have we always been people who like a few songs uh, but we've had to buy the album because that's how it's always been. Yeah, I suppose we are people that like just the individual songs but for the big well-established artists, you know, if you sell that catalogue, that's where the money is. Now you sell your catalogue to a streaming platform or yep. the rights away and you sit on that money for the rest of your life and let people pick their specific favourite songs of yours. That's true. I still like albums. I'll get the Ballpark Music album in uh, June because mm-hmm. I think they're still an, a band that they're does. Band. They do look look at albums, but uh, hey, it's all changing. We can't get in the way of that. There's still great music out there. It's just a matter of whether you're an album person or not. And if yes. you are, there may be a few artists coming through who aren't album artists, so get used to it. Yep. <laughs> um, if you stay dry this weekend, Jordan, any big plans? It's actually my partner's birthday this weekend, Oosh. so we'll be Happy doing a, uh, a lunch on the Sunday. So oh, Very nice. Other than that, I don't think the rain's going to let us do too much this weekend, so no. we'll see. We'll, well see. And uh, our thoughts with everyone over there, of course, in uh, Ukraine and in wider areas uh, with what must be a... Uh, a terribly uh, scary and um, and tragic time. Our thoughts there, no doubt we will talk about that when we meet again next week. Mm-hmm.